Hey guys, welcome back to the All Bodies Nutrition Podcast. This is your host, Eleni, and as always, I'm so grateful to have you here with me today. Today, I have a lovely guest all the way from Austin, Texas. Her name is Leslie Jordan, and she is a wellness entrepreneur, and I'm so excited to have her on today. So, Leslie, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's really a pleasure to be noticed and invited. Of course, I'm so excited, and I love your page. Um, As you guys know, all of Leslie's website info and social media info will be in the um, show notes. So please check that out. Give her a follow, show her page some love. And let's just get into it. We have so many topics to talk about, which I'm so excited. But I think first, it would be great to just hear a little bit about you. And you know, you have a very extensive background of different areas that you were working in, um, and kind of how you got into the space that you're in right now. Sure. Um, I do use that term now, wellness entrepreneur. So um, formally educated, I have a bachelor's of political science. And um, so I'm very into policy and how policy affects people. And then when I went to grad school, I got a double master's, one in business administration and an MPH, a master's of public health. And so I thought that I would have all these big convergence of all these disciplines Mm -hmm. and be in a healthcare programming setting or healthcare administrative setting. And I did that for a little while. Um, It wasn't what I thought it was. I felt like my position, I wasn't making enough changes. And so then I became a teacher. I taught school for 15 years. And then I went into nonprofit leadership for um, a large YMCA association where I headed up healthy living. And so um, that's kind of like that background there. Um, I have several certificates and licenses just along the way, as I am a recovered binge eating um, uh, and recovery for that. So I learned, I have Zumba, I have RIT, I teach dance fitness, I'm a certified personal trainer. And through my own healing journey, coming to a place of non-diet or anti-diet culture uh, philosophy, of course, I align with them, health at every size, um, operating principles and that paradigm. So that's kind of where I am. I also am a mind body eating coach. And I just felt like that was a natural progression as I Um, like I said, healed my binge eating disorder, um, really helping that and recognizing how prevalent some of these um, disordered eating patterns, if you Mm -hmm. don't have the full-blown disorder are, and helping people recognize and uncover the root cause, unlearn those behaviors and unlock the keys to a happier, more fulfilling life. So that has become my journey. And as such, I'm a full-time entrepreneur now for one year. So that kind of brings me full circle. Yes. That's amazing. You're like a one woman showing on top (laughs) of that. You're a mother of two. So you do it all, which is amazing and I think you know like I said please definitely check out her Instagram page um she talks about so many really really important topics and in terms of your journey through discovering that you had binge eating you know behaviors um how did that like kind of happen for you was that something that like kind of developed from when you were growing up or was it something later on in life So this is something that, you know, and being in recovery for 15 plus years now, even before, you know, binge eating disorder was in the DSM, right? So I feel like this was something that these eating behaviors were something I definitely was exposed to um, all my childhood and 
as most of your listeners probably can relate to, mm-hmm. uh, unsolicited commentary on your body size and, you know, and the way you look and what you had on your plate and all of those things. But it was so normalized within my family binge eating. Um, I don't think anyone really paid it any attention. Mm-hmm. And also, I grew up at a time where the pervasive thought was, you know, black girls don't have eating disorders. That's that's a thin white person's issue. You know, I remember growing up watching um, the Karen Carpenter story and mm-hmm. her battle with anorexia, nervosa and that was, oh, poor Karen. We love her songs, but you know, that's white girl problem. Like just, so that was, that attitude is pervasive within black culture and from outside black culture. They don't think that black people, namely black women suffer from eating disorders and nothing could be further from the truth. So growing up, I grew up with binge eaters. We were a happy family of binge eaters. We, um, and compulsive overeaters. I will add that. So a Mm -hmm. lot of my family members struggle with that. On my father's side of the family, definitely a lot of binge eating, but they had the viewpoint that larger bodies were the more attractive ones. Mm. And I think that's born of genetics because they're just genetically larger people like, Mm. hey, we're big and we're we're fine. You know, Mm. hey, you know, so that was their attitude. So so I grew up being pulled in both directions about trying to look a certain size and or not be too big and what's big Mm. enough. And I think we hear a lot of that cultural um reference now about being thick is okay yeah. with black women but that isn't that's not the case for all uh black women and as a really thin kid growing up that I didn't fit in anybody's idea of, of attractiveness so it was it was really tough so um as I grew up and filled out and and genetics caught up with me I spent you know 20 years fighting the larger genetics of my of my makeup so through deep long periods of restriction of course fueled the binges and then um I started to have high blood pressure from literally stress on my body I started to have high cholesterol even though I was like not eating the things that so-called call high cholesterol and so my health started to fail so I turned to exercise And that's where a lot of my fitness certifications come from. Always trying to find the next exercise fad that would somehow shape shift my body into something else. And as an educated black woman, I have the black ideal. And then I have this very Eurocentric, Mm. thin professional ideal of what the body size was. So again, I didn't see anyone that looked like me in the classes that I was taking. And so I just became certified myself and um, that, that's how I made it. Like through my, that is how my disorder kind of served me for that time. And then finally in grad school, at the beginning of grad school, um, a friend of mine reached out to me and said, Hey, I think you have this binge eating thing (laughs) that's not in the DSM. So I can't prove to you that it's a real thing. Cause you know, back then it was just anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa and other eating disorders. (laughs) There wasn't much to choose from, but she was, she was in psychology. She says, this is coming. This is going to be in this DSM DSM one day. And I think I could help you with it. And she worked with me. That was, she was my coach and got me through uncovering some of the ideals where those beliefs come from and I was able to uncover um um really that point for me that really triggered 
those periods of restriction. And it was actually race-based. It had nothing to do with food, but that trauma is what triggered me trying to change every aspect of my physical presence that I could, because I couldn't change my skin color. Yeah. I think that's so interesting. I mean, you've, you mentioned so many important things. And I think first going up from your childhood, how you said that you were like very thin and, and how that goes against some of what your family's beliefs in terms of like what beauty is and size and stuff like that was. So it was like, you went from one to the next, and then you were trying to push your body in the other direction. And I, I would imagine that would cause a lot of trauma in terms of mentally how you're feeling about yourself and your habits and the stress that that puts on your body. Yes. It, you know, and I, and I tell clients to this day, like, you know, you may as well be happy because no matter what you look like, God, I know you're not going to make some, someone's going to be displeased or have, yeah. or have something to say about what you look like. It doesn't matter what your body looks like really ultimately. And you have to find a place where you can accept and be okay with where, where you are. And, you know, that's a message I try to impart to all my clients. It's just about accepting yourself and, and the things that are actually important, you know, this is true. And then you, you talked about how all of this stress that you've had and, and all these internalized feelings were actually impacting your health. And it wasn't something that people would normally think would impact your health status. And I just think that it's, it's so powerful to show that, this trauma and these things that that so many people go through like actually can make you sick yes I'm a testament to that yeah my when I stopped stressing and putting stress both ways mental stress and putting my organs and my body I mean exercising all the time like you know we're always contemplating worried about what I was going to eat or you know all the all the things that we do um yeah my blood pressure has dropped and and it even even though I'm heavier it's nowhere close to high blood pressure now (laughs) yeah older and heavier but I'm happier and I take good care of myself and my blood pressure and cholesterol. I was just like, this is crazy. Yeah. So I'm a, actually a healthier person <laughs> than is, I was when I was smaller, which is so contra- contradictory to what like we quote unquote, were literally like what right, I was right. literally taught in school and undergrad exactly. and my master's program. And I think it's actually very important to talk about, you know, how the Eurocentric thought of what health is and what beauty is and how it literally defines our current health standards, like not yours and my health standards, but like, you know, society's health standards. And we talk about the BMI and how, I mean, I've said this a million times on the podcast, and I'm sure you have as well, but it was like never intended to be used as a health indicator. And it's just so frustrating that literally in school, systematically, dietitians and physicians and nurses are taught that individuals who are black or latino are at a greater risk for high blood pressure and diabetes just because of their race without actually looking into what is causing this (laughs) which is insane so as someone now who has learned so much throughout my practice and throughout my years and you know additional education i'm like that is so insane that they talk about statistics but like what do those statistics even mean like, it just doesn't even make sense anymore. 
the you know damn that BMI yeah. um yeah I mean when you tell them like it was created in the mid 1800s okay I don't care mid 1800s every ethnicity looks looks a little bit different yeah. than what we look now so that's right. there so there's that it's not even based on our bodies and our style of living like yeah. at all and it's geared towards for created for European men Mm-hmm. who were of aristocratic birth and lineage and it was self-reported so that means, right and then also <laughs> if you know what european aristocracy is read inbred so okay yeah. so they have a bottleneck dna <laughs> and that's what that is based on and then you Same. apply it to completely different individuals yeah and and it's only been standardized since 1985 in the United States. That's another thing I find so interesting about yep. how deeply it took root yeah. um, <laughs> in our country. It's like, that's a, that's a new standard. It took them a hundred years before they were like, Hey, let's just pull this out and let's make this the standard as we try to monetize um, yep. o- overweight bodies or, or larger bodies and yeah. try to market that this is our new, you know, plague. And so many things have created this anti- fat bias in our country like and the people just the average person is so unaware and studying health policy and health care policy like I have it's just so funny that they don't realize that in the cold war that's why PE in elementary schools is taught the way it is because they were so afraid that Americans were not going to be war ready like that's where that whole running and speed test and pacing test that we put our kids through and tell them that they're not good enough, you know, early, <laughs> your body's not going to make it. I that's where all this stuff enough. is. Exactly. That's where all that stuff is generated from. Yeah. And it just doesn't have any substance. It was, it's a standard that they pulled mm-hmm. out of the air based on fear, fear and control. And yeah. I mean, unfortunately they have the best marketers known to <laughs> the industry because they have been highly effective at propagating this very poor standard yeah it's just it you know I I have always been you know what I thought to be a very research-based you know I talk evidence-based yes but as I have like learned throughout the years and and done more work and you know encountered different people from different backgrounds and different you know people who weren't born in New York or the United States it's like all of that research doesn't mean anything because it's so flawed from the beginning that like we can't even look at those results because they really don't even mean anything. And I just it's just insane how far behind the science is. They don't mean anything. And what I find. Um, but they inform so much when mm. you talk about nutrition, education and um, dietetics, right? That, that just, just that one field is so entrenched with these ideals. Mm -hmm. Um, and it becomes a system where one prevailing attitude of the power population permeates everything. So everyone who learns medicine, everyone who learns psychology or psychiatry, everyone who learns nutrition and dietetics all get this flawed information based on a premise from the powers that be. And in our Western world, that power is 
was based in colonial power. So they had a set of ideals and standards that they infused into the bedrock of everything. Every other system is built on that. So when you go, doctors learn that yes, black people are going to have higher BMI and therefore automatically slate them to be, you know, at risk for type two diabetes or heart attacks. But what they don't get infused is that maybe the stress of racism or the systematic, you know, disparity between wages or healthcare coverage or healthcare access are just as important and probably more so. That's not what they get taught because that doesn't fit the narrative of who has created these systems. It's funny you talk about internationals because I I find it interesting that in our country, in America, we're very science-based, very Mm. research-driven, but they forget that the research is skewed, the research is biased, the way they set up the experiments or the studies are biased. And in other places, you find much more acceptance and acknowledgement of a variety of viewpoints. And traditional medicine has a valid place in in Africa or in China. You know, you see acupuncture is a real thing. You know, Mm -hmm. they they incorporate a lot more different modalities than we do here. Here, finally, we're having a more of an awakening and coming to a more holistic and alternate therapies. But even still, they're always talked about as alternate, like alternative Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you know if you don't go with the good old western style of medicine you can do that over there and maybe that'll help you you know but it, it it's just the way our system is created yeah. from those colonial structures that creates that system like that that complex for sure and also i don't feel in general that western medicine kind of looks at the being as a whole and they only look at like one symptom or one little you know percentage of what the person is without looking at the bigger picture and that does a huge disservice to patients whether you know you're a physician a nurse practitioner a PA you know or a dietitian the whole person is what matters and figuring out what's best for that person is going to be unique from one person to the next it has to be unique because we are all unique and yes I hear it all the time especially um, just from my background, we don't have health care in the United States. Mm -hmm. We have sick care. You know, we treat symptoms and you know, that's true. If you've ever watched a medication commercial, oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. when they could put out a new medicine, no matter what crazy name they put on this medicine, (laughs) you know, yes, we will help your, you know, ulcerative colitis, but (laughs) you You know, all these seizures, your left arm might fall off. And at the end death, yeah, but your tummy won't hurt. But you know all this other mm. stuff, and that's because we treat the symptoms of this one thing without looking at how um, our bodies are just systems, like yeah. integrated systems. And then our mind is a system that's integrated with the body, well, and our yeah. spirit is in a system that's integrated with the mind and also integrated with the body. And we have to treat people from a mind, body, spirit, from me framework if we're going to improve that person's well-being yeah for sure I mean 100% I definitely agree with all those things and I've seen it in actual practice and it's you know even even your personal experience in terms of the stress that you were experiencing for so many years and when I talk about stress I don't mean like 
you're worried about work or something like that, like the stress that you've been through your whole entire life with the stress that you're putting on yourself with this exercising and then the dieting and the restricting and the guilt and, you know, after binging, that is all stress on your body, which a hundred percent will change your body's biomarkers in terms of like your lab work or the inflammation in your body and your blood pressure and all those things. It certainly does. And I hope that your lovely podcast listeners listen and take heed to that because that is that is a true statement. It really does affect, I mean, and and not just my physical biomarkers, um, it affects my family negatively. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're a binge eater like I was, you don't go out with friends. So your social yeah. uh, life suffers because you're terrified of what you might eat or if you're going to lose control and can't stop eating in front of these people. So you just, you don't go nowhere. You, your mental health suffers. Um, your potentially your job could suffer. You're worried about if you gain too much weight, will you be let go of? Because weight discrimination is a real thing and there's no protection from it. Uh, you, you know, you worry about other types of relationships, you know, you're, you're, you're terrified of what you're teaching your kids or for example, Mm -hmm. or, you know, like every facet you're spending money that you may or may not have to spend on the next diet, the next machine, the next, you know, all these, all these things. And if you're in a larger body, you're spending more money to work out because the clothes are for some reason, so much more expensive, although they're not that much larger. So, you know, you're talking finances, mental, occupational, social, like all the realms of your whole life are affected by you know, dieting and that, and what, and what that culture gives to you and what the dieting culture gives to you, the shame, the guilt, the embarrassment, the self hatred, the self, um, you know, the, that self gaslighting that you end up doing because you've internalized the external gaslighting about you just lack willpower. You're not moving enough. It's just Mm -hmm. calories in and calories out. And, you know, all those things that we hear that just aren't true. (laughs) they're just not true that's that's what I think frustrates me like I want back my lost time I want back my lost money because I I I operated from a place of misinformation yeah and you know even the most educated or you know any smart individual falls victim to diet culture oh yeah and you know it's it's insane because I see it everywhere and, you know, once you see it and once you're like in that recovery space and it it stands out to you like a bright red light or like the invisible elephant in the room and you're like, oh, my God, is this really happening right now? Like, you know, I, I could be watching. I like to keep on the TV for my dog, Penelope, <laughs> and I keep it like on mute. And I it's because I don't want to see any of those like sad dog commercials because it's like too much for me. Um, Like, you know, when they're like raising money for like the oh ASPCA. girl Especially oh my the god one with Sarah, Sarah McLaughlin oh my god voices. I can't oh my gosh I... I'm just like get all the puppies yeah get them. <laughs> same um so I keep on QVC because it's like there's no commercials it's like yeah. you know she could watch and be entertained and they'll be talking about something not even related to like health and they'll turn it into something related to diet culture and they'll be talking about a candle and they're like, oh, this candle smells like apple pie. And so it's like, so you don't have to eat the apple pie. You could just smell it. And I'm like, what? Like, why? Why are you saying that? And after years and years of hearing all these little messages, 
it just compacts and really just infiltrates your mind so like it becomes like second nature in your head and then you're like yeah I don't want to eat apple pie this fall I I can't put on more weight so I'm going to get that candle and I'll smell it like that's how sick it is that is an excellent example (laughs) and one I see like you everywhere like everywhere oh my gosh that was good (laughs) that was good because that's how sneaky and insidious it is and and that person is a victim of it and they don't even realize it when they make that statement you know like eat the damn apple pie with ice cream if that's what you want yeah (laughs) and and you know as you know when when you get past you know the the disordered eating and you come to a place where you're where you've made peace with food and you've made peace with your body like our bodies are so, so, so smart and they always know what to do with food. And it it makes me sad to think about all the years that I spent of my life vilifying my body and telling myself that my body doesn't know what to do. And it just, you know, that there's something wrong with me because I am in a larger size body because I was told that there was something wrong with me for literally my whole entire life. And to be on the other side of that saying like my body is smart and I happen to end up in someone who is in a larger size body and like that's okay and the vilification yeah two ways it's our bodies if it doesn't fit the standard right it's not good enough for somehow not just vilified but yeah deemed yeah. less worthy for some you know arbitrary reason yeah. but and we do that with foods like you know just like you were saying about the apple pie yeah. what inherently is wrong with apple pie nothing because food has no moral value and i think for some somewhere we switched and gave health and this idea of health that health is a one-size-fits-all type of deal first of all and that with health is um we attach morality to it so somehow it became my duty Mm. to owe the world good health yeah. Or, you know, but the world doesn't owe me anything. Now, they don't owe me health coverage. They don't owe me insurance. <laughs> they don't owe me anything. But I owe them, you know, to be in the best possible health. And I think that that idea that health and food has this moral value um, really is seated so deeply that it's really hard for people to get out of that mindset. Even me, 15 years in recovery, or more than that now, but... Even I sometimes hear that internal dialogue pop up and I'm just like, wait, what the hell? You know, I'm at a place where I can stop and say, hey, you know what? Thank you for the lies. But, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm going to pass on that. And I'm able to just know that that's just the ghost of, you know, dieting past. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I know that they're just whispers, but they have there's such a part of how we grow up and how we are enculturated into Mm -hmm. our culture and you know i think there's just such pressure to meet society's standards and but once you realize the standards are senseless yeah (laughs) then you don't care and then that's where you start to live that good sweet life that you really really want and it's it's so freeing and it's honestly the best thing that we can do for our health for our mental health (laughs) for our physical health and you know i just it's just, you know, there's so much work that has to be done in this in this space, in this field. And, you know, it's obviously wonderful to see how it has grown over the years, because mm-hmm. when I first started as a dietitian, I was, 
you know, constantly trying to shrink my body. And I thought like, you know, that's what I had to do because I was a dietitian and I had to show that I was losing weight and, you know, being concerned about every single calorie, every single carb, every single morsel of food that I put in my body, obsessing over it. Mm-hmm. And now to be able to be so at peace with food where I can listen to my body, of course, I like to have a balance of you know, macronutrients at my meal. I know that I have something called polycystic ovary syndrome. So I like to make sure that I get in a good amount of fiber. Um, You know, I like to drink water throughout the day so that I stay hydrated. It has nothing to do with like trying to fill myself up before a meal, but because like your body needs water to like help you go to the bathroom and for your body to like work properly and so that you don't get a headache and, you know, so many things. So you know, when when I talk about health improving behaviors, those are health improving behaviors that have nothing to do with me trying to shrink my body. And, you know, that's something that I constantly work on with my clients. And when people realize such simple things that you can do, just like joyful movement, you know, you talk about like dancing and your Zumba certification. Like, I mean, for me, dancing is just not my thing and it's like my worst nightmare to be in a dancing class but for so many people like it's the happiest thing and they're like wait that's movement I was like yes that's movement that's amazing movement like anything even walking is movement I don't teach Zumba so much anymore uh, because even the messaging from that company became very weight centric and focused on this and more so than they were when they first really started. They just celebrated 20 years. So I teach my own thing called cardio funk and it's old school hip hop and R&B. Oh, I love that. And we're living our best life. And when people come to my class, they're always, first of all, they're surprised that someone my size is going to work them that hard, that they're, they're always surprised at that. But once they get over that, they're, the class is literally just fun. And I, for years of experience have fostered the idea that if we can come together in community and be in community with our own bodies while we're in community with each other, that is the best thing that we can do in that moment. And it's fun. And it's exactly what you said. It is a health promoting behavior. I just had a question the other day about why do I use that term health promoting? Mm. And I explained them. I said, all we can do is promote health because we unfortunately think that health is something owed to us, guaranteed within our control. There are some people that regardless, they're, they're going to have some type of, they're going to have a disease or an illness or something that is going to prevent them from having what we think health health, is right yes quote unquote perfect health and i said so what you do is you take your body your individual body and do the best you can with what you got you want to feel the best you can as often as you can feel good you want to move the you want to enjoy the moves as much as you can when you're able to enjoy the movement Mm -hmm. like that's all we any of us can do and so and that looks different for every single person. And so, like you said, w- yeah, water, sleep. Yep. <laughs> sleep is a health promoting mm-hmm. <laughs> behavior, yes. you know, getting adequate rest. Like those are the things. And we know, you and I know from studies that when you control for size mm. and everyone is pr- doing the health promoting behaviors, longevity, 
Right. Morbidity is all basically the same. Yeah. There, you know, I, I just always find it so interesting that people look at like these blue zones yeah. and oh, these these populations, oh, they're all a hundred years old and they're still <laughs> vital and virile. And what are they doing? And it's so funny because none of them are overly thin. Yep. None of them are vegetarian. Correct. And, or vegan. Like none of these popular they all have they all drink tea and wine. Yep. Like they, but they all enjoy life. Like it, that's that, like, to me, that's the most important thing mm-hmm. about these blue zones. They're enjoying their life. Like they're yeah. not an extremist in any form, you know? And I think that that's a lesson in and of itself. Yeah. And that to me is they live a holistically balanced life. Yeah. And that's the goal. Like that's the goal to enjoy every aspect of your life as much as you can that there's going to be enough struggle and all that other stuff. But if you can have a support network and have the mental fortitude and, you know, and have a body that supports you in your efforts and the best it can, and that's the best we can hope for. Yeah. And it's possible. A hundred percent for sure. And, you know, I think, you know, you briefly touched upon um, the health at every size kinds of, um, you know, that's framework. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it, it plays a huge role in, in my practice. And I would just love to learn about like how you came into that. Cause you talked about how your friend helped you kind of deal with all of your internalized trauma um, and to help you in recovery from your eating disorder. Um, but I, I know that's not necessarily the same thing. Cause sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, people don't necessarily understand, you know, what the health at every size framework is. Yes. So, um, for me, I had never (laughs) heard of that. It was through, through my recovery and, and like so many people, you know, um, one of the first books that I was exposed to, um, was literally, um, the, the Lindo Bacon book, you know, that was, that was one of them. But before that, some of the things that I have been exposed to um, that spoke to those principles without a very strict kind of like framework mm-hmm. for them um, was uh, the book by Caroline Dooner. Um, that was one of the books that I read early on. Um, definitely uh, one of the most probably influential books I ever read was um, by Sonia Renee Taylor. Um, my mind just went blank. Uh, the body is not an apology. Uh, so, you know, there, there have been, uh, some really, uh, awesome books. Roxanne Gay's, uh, Hunger was mm-hmm. a book that I read early on that kind of talked about those principles and, um, really opened up my mind to the possibility, yeah. honestly, that there was nothing wrong with my body. Like, I think that I had so much, um, anti-fat bias to unpack in in my recovery because of the messaging that I had received from society more so than in my family but the the society's just like oh my gosh am I going to be okay if I'm if I'm in this larger body because you know for 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 even now I mean we still have movies like the whale coming out like you still see Mm. that bodies that are larger are fetishized they're 
I don't know what the word would be. <laughs> They're somehow turned into some weird freak show, like 600 yeah. pound life. Like, you know, and I, and in some kind of way, no matter what that person's story actually is, it's always boiled down to overeating, mm. you know? And I feel like that is a very, um, intentional narrative that they're trying to push because mm-hmm. I don't, if you work with clients, but like I do that are in larger bodies, they are some of the people that have always been doing these health promoting behaviors yep. because, because of the fear, right? They're, they're driven. <laughs> they're already walking a lot or moving their yeah. bodies, even if they hate it, even if they hate it, they're doing yeah. it, you know, they're, they're watching these things. So it's not like they're just sitting on their thumbs waiting to yeah. be some, a particular size. And I think that when we I think we think that these people are like invisible in our society Mm -hmm. and in a way they are because they tend to separate themselves to avoid the interactions that they know are going to come. And it's not because they want to be, it's just because for one thing, things aren't made for them in that size. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, where are they going to go? Um, and so what are they going to do when your seating is only for this size body or, yeah. you know, it, it just, you know, it's, it is what it is. We, we limit their interactions with us by the way we build things. Um, we don't encompass all body sizes, honestly, yeah. you know, it's very, very narrow view. And so that, that really opened my eyes that, you know, health and not healthy, but just being in the best health that you can be at every size. And, and for me, even every phase of your mm-hmm. life, like every step of the way, like there's something yeah. that may change for you, but you can still be the, do those behaviors even at that stage to, you know, yeah. make yourself feel good. So. I think that's so important. And, you know, I hope that everyone listening really, you know, has learned something new. And even if you haven't learned something new, hopefully we're just helping deprogram everything that you may have been taught throughout your lifetime. Um, And if you are someone who's struggling, just know that, you know, there is nothing wrong with you. There is a place for you. And there are so many people out there that are here to help you. Um, Leslie, do you have any parting words for our listeners? Um, you know, it's so, it's just so good to be, you know, able to share some of those thoughts and, you know, from a different perspective, sometime, I think it's, um, always so nice just to be able to share. So I, I would tell your listeners that I just think that wherever they are with their journey to food peace and body peace, that know that you are valuable and that you deserve to, yes, nourish your body, but also to nourish your soul. Like you should enjoy the things that you're eating. There's nothing wrong with them. And and to, and to get to a place where you can trust um, your body again, your body, like you said, uh, Lainey is very wise and it's, it will take care uh, of you if you take care of it. And, um, it's not all about shape shifting. Our bodies are designed for so much more joy and fun than just trying to change the size or shape, um, that we're in. So, um, that's, that's what I would like them to, to, to learn and take away from this talk. Oh, I love that so much, Leslie. I hope you come back soon. We'll definitely have you back on. Um, and everyone, please give Leslie a follow. I will have all of her contact info in the show notes. And thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Leslie, again for your time. And I will see you guys next week.